Welcome to Great Commission Community Church. Every Sunday, we come together to tell the story of Christ, encounter his Holy Spirit, and become like Christ together. Our call to worship today comes from a passage in Psalm 118. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteousness. Righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Please pray with me. Father God, we give thanks to you, for your steadfast love endures forever. You have become our salvation through the forgiveness you give and the change you create. We live in a world of brokenness, sin, and disasters, but we take refuge in you, Lord. As your people, we worship you and praise you with trust, reverence, and thanksgiving in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you're able, please stand as we sing. Amen. The Lord is our strength and our song. He is our salvation. What a beautiful and powerful reminder of who our God is this morning. All throughout scripture, we're exhorted to sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done marvelous things. So as we seek to do that this morning um, and throughout our service, if one of our songs are new to you, I invite you to just listen as we sing uh, the verse and the chorus and meditate on the words that will be up on the screen. And then we'd love for you to join us in our singing.
our story. hands together as we continue to sing.
Jesus, the earth and the heavens resound with your praise, for how can it not? You are glorious in your might and your splendor. All of creation displays it, and all of our lives testify to your greatness and faithfulness. We see a picture in Revelation chapter 5, where John says, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice that we might have a way to God the Father to be and walk and live with you forever. And even now in our worship, we want to encounter you, God. Be formed by you. Be transformed by you. So speak, Lord, for we are listening. Speak, Lord, as we want to obey. God, you are so welcome here. You are so honored here. We sing hallelujah. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. The Holy Spirit of Christ is here with us, and his peace is real. So please take a moment to say to someone around you, peace of Christ to you. morning. Uh, so good to be here with you. Um, if you are visiting us for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Um, I want to acknowledge special uh, newcomers to our worship space here, and that's our rising sixth graders. All right, so if, you're, if you are rising uh, sixth grader, can you just stand? We just want to welcome you. Stand. Don't be shy. Woo! There you go. All right. Welcome, 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 kids. Um, just want to encourage you to um, 
Yeah, welcome our kids. Uh, obviously, they, they'll get older, and, uh, you know, they're welcome here. And we purposely have them here because as they get older, you know, we want them to participate in, in this worship. And so when you see them in the hallways or in the aisles, please uh, welcome them. And just one uh, kind of quick note, um, as your, uh, I guess, lead pastor, I want to encourage you, and I do this once in a while, but I feel like I should probably do that as we start another season of ministry, and that's, let's try to be here at 10.15. Can I get an amen there? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's a weak amen. One more time. Can, we, can I hear an amen? Um, that's because, you know, we, again, as you know, uh, this is not, a, not our space. And we have probably about um, 10 people every Sunday come here early to set everything up for us. And maybe more than 10 um, from God's garden to all the instruments you see here to welcome bins and welcomers. And, you know, we want to honor them because um, they put so much energy weekly to set things up for us. And as they lead us into worship, and serve us in that way. We want to be here for them. Uh, we want to encourage one another and remind one another that this is like our church family. And on top of that, when people do visit us, and I know some of you are might be visiting us today for the first time, when, they, when newcomers visit, they tend to come early. And they tend to come and sit, sometimes by themselves for like 10 minutes. That's not being a good, good host, right? And so as... Uh, a church family. Let's be here early to welcome newcomers and encourage those who set things up for us. All right. I might repeat this maybe next next fall sometime, but time to time I, I feel compelled to um, just remind us of that. Um, there's a few things that are happening in our church. Um, as you know, weekly we gather to pray. Again, without a building, we pray online. Uh, it takes more effort, but it's worth worth it, worth our time, worth our, worth, worth our effort, and so I want to encourage you to come out. Just a quick note of this, um, every Tuesday, the first uh, prayer meeting of the month, we will focus on missions. So if you are thinking about missions and that's something that resonates with you, please come out first Tuesday uh, of the month so that we can pray together about that. Really important announcement, which is small groups. Um, small groups will uh, kick off in about two, uh, two weeks. But the sign-up uh, will open today at 3 p.m. So if you want to sign up for a small group, um, go online at 3 p.m. and sign up for a group that, that fits your schedule or where you live. We believe that small groups are so important to our church community and our growth as, as God's people. And so I want to encourage all of you to sign up for a, a small group next two weeks. Uh, Next, uh, Tyson's, our picnic, will we'll have a picnic at Lake Akatik Park um, at, on September 4th. And so this is just for us to fellowship, and it's a way for us to invite friends, invite newcomers. So make a note of that. Hopefully it'll be a good time, good weather. We'll be together on that day. Um, youth group, you, if you're in a youth group uh, here, the youth group will start September 9th uh, at same place, Vienna Community Center at 7 p.m. Uh, next, welcome lunch on September 17th. So we do this probably about quarterly. 
Uh, this is for any newcomers who are with us. Uh, if you have not been to one of these newcomer luncheons, we want to welcome you to do this, uh, to sign up. It's just a way for us to welcome you sort of officially, allow you to connect with other newcomers and meet some of our staff and pastors. And so um, September 17th, after service, uh, we'll have the newcomers lunch. If you are interested, please sign up online by September 10th. All right, uh, at this time, we're going to pray for offering. We do this, uh, we collect, we don't collect offering physically, but we collect uh, online. But we do want to recognize each Sunday that God is the giver of good gifts. So let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for this space and this time. Thank you that we get to gather to worship you. Uh, thank you for the songs that we just sang that reminded us that you, how good and great and beautiful you are. Lord, we pray uh, that you would capture us today with songs, with music, with your word, with prayer. Our hearts are open. We, in that way, we want to offer up our offerings to you. Uh, we acknowledge that you are the giver of all good things. And so as we work and as we earn uh, money, Lord, we recognize and acknowledge that it comes from you. And so we give back to you as worship that you can use it to further your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. We have a special guest speaker today. Uh, once, uh, once a while, time to time, we have our elders come and speak. And so today, one of our elders, Andy Ho, is going to come up and speak to us. And he's going to talk about money. Uh, Andy's been here for a long time. Uh, he's been, he and his family has been uh, faithfully serving our church community in many different ways. And so really looking forward to um, having Andy come and speak to us. And by the way, we appreciate and, and love our lay elders. They do so much behind the scenes. So as he comes up, can we um, clap and just, I don't know, welcome him up and uh, have open minds and open hearts. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> it's good, really good to be with all of you again, and it's good to see the auditorium filled up, and it really makes me happy on the one hand, but on the other hand, it, I'm sad because it also means summer is almost over. But uh, so as Pastor Steve said, um, I preach about once a year, and so I definitely ask for your grace and patience. Um, and Pastor Steve has asked the elders this year to preach on a topic that we're passionate about over these last couple months, so you may have heard Elder Phil preach in May, uh, Peter preached a couple of weeks ago as well, and so we are deviating a bit from our regular series in the Psalms, and so today, I want to talk about money, and how as Christians, we are to cultivate a heart of generosity. Now, I know money is a topic that is personal to all of us, and so you might be sitting here wondering, you know, why are we talking about it at church? And if you're sitting, maybe you're squirming, but if I, I can't tell if you're squirming because you might be shivering because it's kind of cold in here. <laughs> but why are we talking about it at church? You know, shouldn't we talk about something less controversial like politics or sex? <laughs> and you may also be thinking, you know, why, what makes you qualified to talk about money and generosity? So why are we talking about it here? Why are we talking about money at church? Isn't money like the opposite of church? Well, we're talking about money because the Bible talks a lot about money. In fact, more about money than just about any other topic. 
but also because our attitudes towards money and how we use it, how we spend it, how we make it, how we save it, it largely defines who we are and what our priorities are in life. You know, we often don't bring God into our financial picture because we are afraid of what he will ask us to change about our lives. For many of us, you know, Jesus may be our savior, but he is not Lord over our finances. I just want to challenge this way of thinking of being afraid of giving God uh, lordship over our finances. I just want to challenge that and say that when we acknowledge that all we have comes from God, when we acknowledge that it is all his, we will discover the joy of giving. And we can be equipped to make good and wise decisions about the ways we make and use money. So why am I qualified to preach about this? Well, if you know me, I am passionate about generosity, about giving and finances. I have a finance degree, I have an MBA. I've spent the last 20 years working with philanthropists. Currently, my day job is I'm work, I work as a fundraiser at a nonprofit, specifically raising six and seven-figure gifts from individuals. So every day, I'm interacting with millionaires and, in some cases, billionaires. And yes, I get my more than fair share of rejections and no's from asking for people, asking people for money. So I've learned not to take it personally. So if at the end of this sermon, you know, I see you and you're like shaking your head at me, I, you know, I'll just smile and say, thanks for coming. I, I won't take it personally. <laughs> but if, if you're a Christian here today, you know, God calls you to be generous towards others with your money. The standards of generosity we are called to are different from what the world sees as generous. We are to be generous out of a heart of worship and gratitude for what God has done in our lives, for Christ's ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. I think the first step towards cultivating a heart of generosity is believing that everything that you have belongs to God. So let's dive in and unpack this. So let's look at Psalm 24, where King David says in verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. So what do we mean by everything? Charles Spurgeon, who's an English preacher in the mid-1800s, he notes that everything in the earth may mean its harvest, its wealth, its life, or its worship. In all these senses, the Most High God is possessor of all. In other words, everything we have, our talents, our education, our money, our possessions, relationships, time, our bodies, it all belongs to the Lord because it came from him. Do you believe that? If we begin from a place that says, Lord, it's all yours, the education to the job opportunities to the income you allowed me to make, God, if it's all yours, I don't want to spend your money on meaningless things or experiences. I don't want to spend things on, spend money on things that are just temporal or for my own pleasures. When we think this way, it ought to shape our perspective on money and possessions, our money and possessions in light of eternity. In Deuteronomy 8, uh, Moses reminds the Israelites about how God led them through the wilderness for 40 years to the promised land and gave them everything they needed. 
in verses 17 and 18, it says, Beware lest you say in my heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You see, God reminds us over and over that all we have comes from him, and it all belongs to him. How many of us ultimately recognize that all we have comes from God and that it all belongs to him? So the first point is recognizing that everything you have belongs to God. The second point is, are you following God's calling for your life? We all have different skills, different talents, different education and job opportunities. We're not all called to jobs that make a lot of money. And it raises the question of, is what you are doing now a response to what God has asked you to do? Matthew 6, 33 and 34 is familiar to many of us. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But what does seeking the kingdom of God first mean? I think it means bringing to God our decisions about the careers we choose, the jobs we have, and by extension, our decisions about our finances. Do you spend time praying and asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? When was the last time you prayed about a money decision? You know, whether it's, you know, buying a house or buying a car or even smaller purchases. Some of you here, you know, might be called to a profession that doesn't pay much, whether it's a teacher or pastor or social worker, etc. Some of you may need to ask yourself, am I doing what I'm doing just because it pays well? Or is there something else that God may be calling me to do, but I'm too scared to pursue it because of what it may mean financially? Or how might God be asking you to reorient your life so that you are seeking him first? Or do you merely just go through life with a desire to be comfortable and secure as your top priority? The bottom line is, are you obeying God's call for your life? 20 years ago, I made a conscious decision to pursue nonprofit and philanthropy work that I felt God was calling me to. And before that, I had aspirations to work in finance and make a lot of money. You know, I grew up in Rockville, and so I wanted a mansion in Potomac on the golf course, and I wanted a Lexus. But, you know, God changed my desires for all that, and it's a much longer story of how that all happened. But for the first few years after I switched careers, I really struggled with, you know, did I make the right decision? Did I hear God correctly? I was in grad school, and I was thinking half the time, like, you know, I could have bought a house instead of, like, paying tuition and taking out more money, more loans to go to grad school. And then after grad school, it was like, I could be making triple or more the money that I'm making than I'm making at this nonprofit. But, you know, I've seen God provide in so many other ways besides financially that has really confirmed that this is the right path for me. And following him has really freed me, though admittedly not totally, from the love of money and has enabled me to give more than I ever thought I could. So we've talked about how everything belongs to God and that we are called to seek him first. A third point is that generosity starts from the heart. God looks at your motivation for giving. 
And we see an example of this in the story of the widow's mite in Luke 21. Other people at the temple that day gave much larger amounts than the two cents that this widow gave. But her gift meant more to the Lord than the others. Why? Because she sacrificed what little she did have and gave with an obedient and cheerful heart that a gift that showed her faith in the Lord. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. In verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You see, a farmer sowing seed may feel like he's losing seed as it falls from his hand to the ground. And we may feel we are losing when we give. But just as the farmer gives the seed in anticipation of a harvest in the future, we ought to give with that same heart. See, when we give, we reap blessings, materially and spiritually. Materially, we can trust that God will provide for the one with a generous heart. Spiritually, it will reduce our attention on money and free us from the feeling that we never have enough. May we all sow generously, and may Christ be enough for us as we put our confidence in him. Verse 7 says that each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not out of regret or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right now, you may not have much, so you cannot give much, but it is still important that one gives and that you give with the right kind of heart. We should give because we want to give and because God has put it on our heart to give. You know, God doesn't want our giving to be out of reluctance or regretfully given while, when we complain. Nor does he ask us to give out of necessity because someone has forced us to give. And this is more the spirit behind taxation, not biblical generosity. Instead, God wants us to give cheerfully out of love for him. You know, the ancient Greek word, for cheerful is hilaros, and this is the root for our English word hilarious. God wants us to give cheerfully because that is how God himself gives, and God is the ultimate cheerful giver. When I think of the word hilarious, I think of something so funny. I'm like cracking up, rolling on the floor. I can't stop laughing, you know, but my daughter likes to say, Daddy, you've gone to giggle land. Imagine God in this way. He's so delighted and so happy to give to us. He's like, I don't know if you can imagine God cracking up at something, but that's, that's that vision that I have. It's that same feeling when you give a gift to someone you love or someone you really like, you know, maybe if you're dating, and you're so happy to give it to them because of all the time and thought you've put into giving that gift. You know, I travel a bit for work, and so every time I go somewhere, I try to buy some unique coffee for my wife, Melissa. She loves good coffee, and I am more than happy to drive out of my way to some obscure place, driving past like 20 Starbucks. But the delight and the big smile she has when I come home and I give her that coffee is, is really worth it. And I'm just as delighted and have a big smile too uh, when she sees that coffee. <laughs> That's the idea behind cheerful giving. We should have that same sort of cheerfulness in giving to God. You know, God's desire is for us to be generous like him. In Leviticus 27, God calls his people to set aside 10% of the crops they grew and the livestock they raised to give it to the temple. 
then that was a floor, not a ceiling for giving. I think it's a great guideline for giving to the church. Yes, you know, after Christ came and fulfilled the law, the New Testament nowhere says that we need to continue to give according to a tithe, but instead to give as we are able with pure motives and out of worship to God and service to people. So now you might think, great, I'm off the hook for giving 10% to the church. But in fact, you know, I think having this freedom in Christ ought to compel us to think of 10% as a floor and not a ceiling to our generosity. Can you say with a straight face to yourself in the mirror that you are generous to God? This is not about regret, compulsion, guilt, or not even a means to salvation. This isn't about giving to our church here. I'm asking you to reflect on your own attitude towards generosity to God and to those in need. There's a guy named Ramit Sethi who has a Netflix show, How to Get Rich. Uh, one of his points he says a lot is about living your rich life. Basically, he means that if you have the money and if you're organized and on track financially, which is two big ifs for many people, then don't wait to live your rich life and learn how to spend and enjoy your money. You know, I don't disagree with him entirely, but I will add one thing. As Christians, for how many of you is being generous a part of your rich life? What priority is being generous? How many of you consider it a joy to give? More joy than going out to a fancy dinner or taking a nice vacation. Are you honoring God with your money first? You know, the world says, pay yourself first. What if you decided instead, give the Lord first? Did you know that the average American gives about 2.2% of their income to charity each year? This is across all income levels. So from a worldly perspective, anything beyond that would probably be called very generous. And somebody giving 10% might be called exceedingly generous. What scale are you using to determine generosity? Not to judge others, but to judge yourself. Are you giving zero dollars right now because you're so concerned with yourself and your future? If you're giving less than 1% of your gross income, can you get up to 1%? So if you're making $75,000 a year, can you give $750? It may not be easy to go straight to 10% of your income if you've never done it before. Take small steps and work your way up. For many of you, you might be making $5,000, $10,000 a month gross. Are you giving 10%? Are you being generous toward God or only generous to yourself? For still others, you might be making $300,000 a year, $400,000 or more. You've got millions stored away in retirement and brokerage accounts. You have a trust fund. Maybe you inherited some money from your parents or grandparents. Have you thought about why God has given you so much in a world where so many have so little? What would it look like for you to give more than 10%, say go up to 20% or 25%? Or what if you made it a goal to live on a reverse tithe, that is, living on 10% and giving away 90%? What incredible things can God do through your giving so generously and cheerfully? You know, it sounds funny to say, but having a lot of money can be a real burden and a challenge. Perhaps some of you might relate. One time I spoke at a retreat for young people of wealth, 
these were 20-somethings to have a safe space to talk about the challenges of <laughs> inheriting wealth. Like one person I met who was shocked upon inheriting $20 million when they turned 21. Or another who had no idea their parents were super wealthy and now they had this huge issue because their family's wealth from, came from what they viewed as immoral means. We can laugh and think you know, that people think these are problems, but it's a real thing. They couldn't talk about it with their normal group of friends. And, is, and I, as I interacted with them throughout the retreat, I realized many of them were seeking a sort of salvation through their good deeds and giving. They had everything, and yet absent a transforming relationship with Christ, they had nothing. It reminded me of Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul? That's as Christ said. Can you relate to this? A few months ago, Elder Chung at Arlington talked about generosity when he shared about being a blessing through work. He said, be faithful in what he has given you. And so whether it's work, whether it's your home or possessions. So if you have a place to call your own, whether it's big or small, show hospitality and host people for dinner or host a small group. If you really want to go out on a limb, you know, host youth group at your house or your community room. <laughs> if you have a car, offer to give people rides. If you have airline miles or access to a vacation home, share it with someone that could use a nice vacation that might not otherwise be able to afford it. Just like many of us think about how to maximize our credit card points or airline miles for ourselves, how can we maximize all that we have for God and for others? The bottom line is find ways to be generous with what God has given you materially to bless others and to put others ahead of yourself. I recognize that money is also closely tied to our emotions, whether you have guilt or anxiety, anger, pride, or fear of losing it all and living on a street, living on the street, being a bag lady. Money is also closely tied to the messages that we heard and saw about money growing up in our families, whether it's our parents or other relatives. And these early experiences often shape our current view of money more than we think. So in fourth grade, we were in math class learning about mean modes and medians. The teacher asked everyone to tally up what brand of shoe they were wearing. And I remember distinctly the results. 13 Nikes, 12 Reeboks, and one Pro Wings. Yes, I was that kid with the off-brand shoes from Payless. And I got looks and snickers from kids after that. From that memory, I decided one day that I would make enough money so to be able to afford nicer shoes for my kids so they wouldn't have to be in that situation. This has influenced my own view of money. Fortunately, not all my memories about money growing up were bad. <clears throat> Another memory taught me a vital lesson about generosity that still resonates today. I remember being with my dad walking out of church when a stranger approached him asking if he could have some money to buy food. I was skeptical this man was really using the money to buy food because I could smell alcohol on his body. But dad went ahead and gave him $10. <clears throat> Afterwards, I asked dad, how do you know he won't use this money for beer or drugs? And dad said, it is not for me to judge how he will use the money. 
God will do that. I have to trust God will use it anyway. I carry that example of generosity with me now, um, just as the farmer sowing seed and losing some along the way. You know, I strive to give when convicted to, and I trust God with the results. You know, maybe your family was cheap, they were miserly, they never gave anyone anything. Maybe they didn't have anything to give. Maybe you didn't learn anything from your parents about money, and now you're really struggling as an adult. Whatever your background, know that it shapes how you think about your money today. I don't know what your situation was like growing up or even now what your struggles may be. But I want to encourage you that in Christ, we are free to learn a new way to look at God, look at money in God's family and economy. We can renew our thinking about money through Christ's power. In Romans 12, it says, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not follow the customs of the present age, but be transformed by the entire renewal of your mind, so that you may learn by experience what God's will is, that will which is good and beautiful and perfect. You see, through the power of Christ, we can be transformed and, in a sense, reparented in how we think about money. We can let go of the negative emotions associated to money. We can be freed from being too calculating and transactional. And we can be freed from burying our heads in the sand because we cannot deal with our financial reality. Through Christ, we are not to follow the customs of the present age. We are not to idolize comfort, security, or status. Instead, let us do what pleases God through being generous to others and being good caretakers of all that he's given us. I encourage you to ask God for wisdom to make daily choices to honor the Lord in your finances. So how do we honor the Lord with our finances? I have a few applications for your consideration. The first is knowing your numbers and knowing where you stand. You know, do you have a good tracking system for how much you earn, how much you spend and what you spend it on, how much you give, how much you save and invest? how much debt you have, and how much you have in total. If you don't know or you don't want to know, you need to face reality and come up with a system of knowing your numbers and knowing where you stand. That way you can begin to develop realistic goals and timelines for yourself for reaching those goals. The second application is what I call lifestyle deflation. This is the idea that we can keep our lifestyle in check or even reduce it even as our incomes and wealth increases, so that we can give more. I want to talk about spending for a minute. So, you know, we all have needs, whether it's housing, transportation, internet, cell phones, groceries, etc. Then we have wants. We have vacations, eating out, a nicer car than we really need, fun things. Some of you might need to look at spending on your wants. Are you spending so much on your Instagrammable events at the expense of your saving and giving? Others of you may have large percentages in needs and not too much in wants, but still, it cuts into how much you're able to or willing to give. These might be harder areas to cut back on so that you can give more. Maybe it's buying cheaper groceries could be a start, 
or cutting a streaming service, but it could be bigger things like buying a cheaper car or moving to a cheaper home or apartment. These won't be easy decisions, but if this is your situation, I urge you to prayerfully consider making changes so that you can be more generous. Still others of you are struggling financially, even if you're not spending much on wants at all. You've got credit card debt, you're living paycheck to paycheck, your student loans feel insurmountable. Maybe you're supporting you know, relatives or extended family financially. Might God be okay with you looking or finding a better paying job or asking for a raise at work? I'm not saying you can't have a good time or have nice things as a Christian, but it is about asking God for wisdom and direction when it comes to your finances and taking steps of faith to trust God to provide. God may call some of you to give away a lot, while others are just as generous in his eyes for giving the little that you do have. So know your numbers and deflate your lifestyle. I also want to announce two other opportunities for further application and learning following this message. So maybe you've just started working or you've been making money for a while, but you don't really feel like you know what you're doing. Next month, I'll be leading a class open to everyone on a biblical framework for finances. So we'll go over in more detail what the Bible says about finances, gain a basic financial literacy, and have practical tips for developing a money tracking system and creating goals for saving, spending, investing, paying off debt. So this will be two Zoom sessions, 90 minutes each. I think it's September 17th and 24th. And again, everyone is welcome to sign up. And for those of you youth in the room, if you're interested in this topic, I encourage you to also sign up. Another class I'm introducing is called Next Level Generosity. So this was inspired by a book called Gospel Patrons. And these are stories about people who supported those that became famous for how they changed the world. Like William Tyndale, who 500 years ago wanted to translate the Bible from Greek into e English, but he didn't have any money to do it, and it was a kind of a dangerous thing. He could have been arrested for it. But a Christian businessman named Humphrey Monmouth said to Tyndale, come, live at my house, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you so you can get to work. And together, they gave the world the first, new, the first English New Testament. Tyndale did all the translation, and Monmouth funded his work. Tyndale went into the history books. Monmouth largely did not, but he was no less important. God used Monmouth to be a gospel patron. So this next level of generosity class is for those that are doing well financially, you're already giving regularly, but this is about challenging you to think bigger in your giving. It's about developing a plan, a strategy, a vision for your giving and discovering what God might have for you as you obey him in giving larger sacrificial gifts aligned with the passion that he's given you? How can you dream bigger for how God might use your generosity to impact his kingdom? This will also be for two weeks over Zoom in October. And this is because this is a new class, I'm limiting enrollment to 16 people. These classes are both open now on the website as of today. So look under events and you can register online.
and the deadline, I think, is September 11th. So for our church, the question is, what does generosity look like? Some of these tie back to our vision statements as a church, and I'll select two of the five statements. The first is that we envision people of all backgrounds and ages empowered by the Holy Spirit, pursuing Christ-likeness together through God's word, prayer, and worship. The second is that we envision reaching the least reached people groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the DMV region and the ends of the earth. How can we as a church, through greater giving and generosity, pursue Christ-likeness together? And as we give, can we see more realities of God's kingdom here in the DMV and around the world? You know, I'm really encouraged that many of you gave to support our missions partners in Cambodia. We've been raising money to build a health clinic in a remote place called Stung Trang in Cambodia. The church raised $300,000 over the last two years to make this possible. While that is awesome and I think we should celebrate it, I do wonder if in some ways for our congregation, is it easier to give than to engage in missions? What do I mean by that? You know, it's great that many of you can give an extra $500, $1,000 on top of your giving to church to support this without really too much effort on the church's part to ask. But how many of you take the additional time and effort to ask Pastor Jonathan, our missions pastor, what's going on in Cambodia? How might I pray regularly for our partners there? How might I get to know some of the individual missionaries working there? What if I were to go to Cambodia on a short-term missions trip? What if God might be calling me to long-term missions? Is God nudging me to give even more and to support even more kingdom work around the world? You know, ever since I felt God calling for me to pursue work in philanthropy, I've had this vision that one day for every person that is called to go onto the mission field, that they would have a group of Christians ready to give and support them 100% so that they don't have to worry about fundraising one bit. I would love to see that vision come to reality one day. A couple months ago at our members meeting, it was reported that as a church, we gave something like $180,000 towards global and local missions last year. What would it look like to double that, say, in two years? Or in 10 years, what if our church could give a million dollars a year towards missions? You know, our church has done very well financially over the years, and we've given away a lot of surplus to missions, especially in recent years. But I really believe that we can do so much more. Uh, knowing the people in our church with the jobs and educations that many have, I really believe that we can do this, that we can really we're just scratching the surface of what we can do as a body. And, um, you know, I don't know, I, I think about often, you know, why, why has God blessed us so much as a church over the years? You know, we've been around since 2002. I think out of the last 21 years, I think something like 19 of those years, our church has had a surplus. And I think, you know, we can't be thinking we got to save that up for ourselves or we got to beef up our programs so that we can enjoy them? How do we release that money to the, to the world and to the kingdom for his kingdom and for his glory? So I really believe that we can do this. You know, if we are all being individually generous, 
we can be corporately, you know, we can give sacrificially for the kingdom and together as a community. I'll end with this. In the book, From Generosity to Justice by Darren Walker, the president of the Ford Foundation, he notes that it was a Chicago humorist, Finley Peter Dunn, who coined that most illustrative phrase, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comforted. While Dunn talks about this in the context of stories, Walker uses this in the context of generosity and justice. And I quote him, comforting the afflicted is about our charity, our kindness, about providing relief and recovery. But afflicting the comfortable is about our pursuit of justice, how we reimagine and reform. One asks that we give something back, but the other insists that we give something up. Walker goes on to say that afflicting the comfortable demands that we reckon with the ways in we ourselves, in which we ourselves benefit from vast disparities in access and agency, voice and value. And afflicting the comfortable obligates us to rectify, to repair the deep inequalities that deceive us into ignoring how and why we put ourselves first and others second, resetting the cycles of privilege built into our laws, norms, customs, and behaviors. If you're honest with yourself, you would likely say you are more comfortable than afflicted. How might God be calling you to comfort the afflicted through your generosity? And how might, God, how might you allow God to afflict the comfortable so that you can be more selfless and put others' interests ahead of your own? Are you giving something back and are you giving something up? In terms of next steps, if you're sitting here today and you're not a believer in Christ, Ask yourself, what is your salvation in? What do you put your hope in? Is it about being a good person and doing good things like giving away your money? You know, Christ calls us to follow him in faith, and that is what gives us salvation and eternal life, not our good works. I urge you to seek out this Jesus that we worship, for it is in him that you will tr find true satisfaction and hope. If you're still in school, if you're one of the youth here, and you don't have any money, so you think, what's the point of all this right now? I have nothing to give. I have no lifestyle to, to deflate further. I'd encourage you to start thinking about your attitude towards money and generosity and start giving in small ways. Maybe you made some money this summer at a summer job. Could you give away a percentage of that? Or give away a percentage of the cash gifts you got from relatives. Now is the time to start setting good habits of generosity that you can build on later in life. If you're working, whether outside the home or inside the home, ask yourself, when was the last time you were generous towards someone else besides yourself, your family, or your friends? How close are you to giving 10% of your income away? You know, some of you are living quite the nice lifestyle with going out, fancy vacations, buying nice stuff, but at the expense of generous giving. Others of you spend a lot on your kids, but again, at the expense of giving. Still others of you save a lot, way more than you need, and you live with a scarcity mindset rather than one of abundance. 
but you are driven less by wisdom and more by anxiety, fear, and greed. There's a lot to think through. I'd encourage you to ask God to speak to you about what you need to change. What do you need to do to be obedient to his calling for your life when it comes to finances? How can you live a life of greater faith and dependence on God? Can you pray and ask God to increase your heart of generosity and cheerful giving? Can you repent of your greed, your cheapness, your selfishness, and your worldly desires for more? Can you pray and ask God would cultivate in you a heart of generosity? Let's take a moment to reflect in silence. God, you made us in your image and breathed in us a spirit of generosity that is both gift and response. Move us, we pray, to give as we have received, abundantly, generously, and joyfully, that we may ever bear witness to your abounding and unfailing grace. Release us from the binds of worldliness, of fear and anxiety with money, from past sins and mistakes. For we are new creations in you. We cast our cares about money upon you, for you care for us. In Jesus' powerful and precious name. Let us continue to pray and respond to God's word together. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us. We thank you for your word that reveals your heart for us. We praise you for being a generous God, a God of justice, and a God of equity. You made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. You have blessed us abundantly, and your promises give us hope and peace. Lord, we pray that you would search us and know us. We confess that we often take your blessings for granted. We pride ourselves in our possessions and accomplishments without acknowledging you, who give us work and abilities and things we need. We indulge selfish desires, and we shut our ears to the poor. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us from these unhealthy thoughts and habits. We thank you that in Christ we have redemption and forgiveness of sins and the hope of reconciliation with you and with each other. Amen. 
Friends, let's remember together how Christ's ways are different and how he treasures different things than our world does. We'll say out loud Jesus' words from Matthew 5, 3 through 11. I will start, and we will alternate lines. Please read the words in italics. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that our lives and our things and our time are not ours only, but yours. Father God, like Jesus taught, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We bless those around us, not just those who can repay us, but those who cannot. People and communities who have been marginalized and impoverished. We bless our ministry partners, Casa Chirlagua and Little Lights. We're praying for knowledge, resources, and the word of God to be active among them. We thank you for our global partners in Cambodia and Europe. Would you empower them to continue your work? We pray for the Bailey's Crossroads area and this area of Tyson's Corner. Let people in these areas have your kingdom and inherit the earth to receive mercy and live in your way. Psalm 112 says, the righteousness will never be moved, not afraid of bad news, having a firm heart that trusts in you and is steady, freely giving, especially to the poor. Father, we thank you for your steadfastness, faithfulness, and generosity towards us. You have called us each to be part of your mission, to live in your countercultural ways. And we give ourselves generously to your desires through our resources, time, finances, and prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we take communion, let us say this brief summary of Christ's life that the church all over the world has used for hundreds of years called the Memorial Acclamation. Let's say this together. The mystery of our faith is great. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let us take time to commune and pray with the Lord. Continue to reflect upon what God wants to say to you from today's message. When you are ready, come up to take the bread and the juice. The bread is in the compartment above the juice. If you're a Christian, I invite you to take part in communion. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I kindly ask you to refrain from taking part in the elements. We'll also have a couple of our leaders up here, Patty and Peter, to pray with you if you would like. So please pray, reflect, and when you're ready, come up and take the elements.
say that to the Lord, just in our own way. God, I trust that your grace is sufficient, that you provide for my every need. There's nothing else in this world that can satisfy but you, so have it all, Lord. Here's my heart. Here's all that I have. Have it all, Lord.
we lay it all down before you, God. It all comes from you. It's all yours, Lord. Lord, you have blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. Lord, I pray that we would seek to honor you in all that we have, Lord. Fill us with your wisdom and discernment for all the things you have called us to so that we might be a blessing to others. Let us be sent out with this benediction from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us for service today. Please stick around and fellowship with one another. Have a great week.